This is The Rounds Table. Welcome back, Roundtable listeners. Today, I'll be joined by Dr. Tony Bai, an infectious disease specialist from Queen's University. We will discuss some high-yield topics in ID, including the management of Staphylococcus aureus bacteremia and when to include an infectious disease specialist in the care of patients with such infections. Dr. Bai is an assistant professor at Queen's University in the Division of Infectious Diseases. He graduated from the University of Ottawa School of Medicine and then completed his core internal medicine residency at Queen's. He then went on to pursue his infectious disease fellowship at McMaster University. Dr. Bai is currently completing an MSc in health research methodology at McMaster University. His main research interest is optimization of antibiotic therapy to improve outcomes in common bacterial infections, such as Staphylococcus aureus bacteremia. Thank you so much for recording with us today. Thank you for inviting me. Let's get right into it. Staphylococcus aureus is a common culprit for many infections that we encounter within medicine. What inspired you to research uh, Staphylococcus aureus bacteremia in particular? I was inspired by one of my mentors, Dr. Andrew Morris, who is infectious diseases physician at UHN and Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. When I was a medical student, I did a summer studentship under the uh, supervision of Dr. Andrew Morris and Dr. Adrian Schaller. They had collected a large database of patients with Staphylococcus aureus bacteremia across hospitals in Toronto. And as a summer student, I helped out with some of this statistical analysis and writing up the manuscript for this project under their guidance. I learned a lot from the project and realized that there's a large gap in the evidence for management of this common and deadly infection. So I continue to do research on this topic. You recently released a systematic review and meta-analysis last year that was investigating the mortality associated with Staphylococcus aureus bacteremia. What were your findings and why are they important for our current clinical context? The systematic review and meta-analysis was done by a large research team with members from McMaster University, University of Toronto, and McGill University as well. We performed a systematic review of studies from the last 30 years that described the mortality rate for patients with Staphylococcus aureus bacteremia. And with this project, we have published four journal articles on this topic. In the main systematic review that was published in Clinical Microbiology and Infection, we summarized the mortality rate from 341 studies that included approximately half a million patients with Staphylococcus bacteremia. We found that the all-cause mortality was approximately 10% within the first week, 20% by the first month, 25% by the three months, and 30% by one year. And MRSA bacteremia or methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus continues to have a higher mortality than methicillin-susceptible Staphylococcus or MSSA bacteremia. But the good news is over the last 30 years, the mortality rate seems to be decreasing by each decade. That's reassuring, but it still seems to be incredibly deadly. How do you treat Staphylococcus bacteremia? So that is a complex topic. So I would just make a few important points in the management. So first, Staphylococcus aureus in the blood culture should never be uh, regarded as a contaminant and should always be treated as a true bacteremia. Second, the most important component of management is to evaluate for the source and also metastatic fossa as a result of the Staphylococcus bacteremia because source control, such as removal of lines and drainage of abscesses are much more important than antibiotics alone. And third, the most effective intravenous antibiotics should be used to treat Staphylococcus bacteremia if it is methicillin susceptible, then this should be either cefazolin or cloxacillin. If it is methicillin resistant, then this should be vancomycin or daptomycin. Fourth, the minimum duration of antibiotic therapy is two weeks for uncomplicated bacteremia. Uncomplicated bacteremia, such as deep-seated infections, prolonged bacteremia, or metastatic falsi, usually require four or more weeks of antibiotics. Uh, Dr. Andrew Morris and I have summarized the most important aspects in the management of staph bacteremia. 
in the CMAJ Five Things to Know About article that was published in 2019. I'll definitely check it out. And do all patients with a staph aureus bacteremia require an echocardiogram? Uh, yes. So based on observational studies, the risk of endocarditis in all patients with staph aureus bacteremia is estimated to be around 10 to 20 percent. Therefore, it is important to diagnose endocarditis as it will mean a poor prognosis for the patient and it will change management, such as involving cardiac surgery and also prolong the antibiotic therapy to six weeks or more. So in order to diagnose someone with uncomplicated staph aureus bacteremia and treat with a short duration of antibiotics, such as two weeks, it is essential to rule out endocarditis. And the only way to do that is uh, using an echocardiogram. Okay, and uh, not to put you on the spot, but when would you choose a transthoracic echo versus a transesophageal echo? It's a great question. So we published a systematic review showing that a transthoracic echo is fairly accurate as a screening test when compared to a transesophageal, but the sensitivity is just not great. It's about 60% versus specificity about greater than 90%. So I think a transthoracic echocardiogram is usually useful when it's positive. When it's positive, you know that it has endocarditis. However, if it's negative, uh, if there's other risk factors such as a prosthetic valve, prolonged bacteremia, then certainly you cannot rule out based on the normal uh, transthoracic echocardiogram. However, the decision to that depends on your local factors, such as how available it is, and also whether it will change management. For example, if a patient has no uh, staph aureus bacteremia and osteomyelitis, will require six weeks of antibiotic therapy, and is otherwise hemolytically stable, and the transthoracic echocardiogram didn't show any severe valvular regurgitation or valvular damage, and I think maybe you could argue that it doesn't change management whether you know that you will have an endocarditis based on the transesophageal because they're otherwise well and will complete six weeks of antibiotic therapy. So I think I usually, uh, based on my clinical judgment uh, and my clinical evaluation, and see if whether a TEE would change management. Thank you. And when should you repeat blood cultures for a patient that is on appropriate therapy for a staph aureus bacteremia? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, so in a recent prospective observational study of almost 1,000 patients published in the Lancet Infectious Diseases in 2020, it was found that prolonged bacteremia beyond two days was, a, was associated with almost double the mortality risk. Therefore, we usually suggest to repeat blood cultures after two days of appropriate antibiotic therapy. And if the repeat blood course is positive for staph aureus, then I usually repeat it every two days thereafter until it's shown to be cleared. In the event of prolonged staph aureus bacteremia, it's useful and important to reevaluate for any missed metastatic foci. And also the antibiotic duration should be based on the last positive blood culture or the first negative blood culture of state zero. Thank you. And I see that the IDSA is in the process of updating their guidelines for the management of staph aureus bacteremia. What do you think these new updates will contain relative to their previous iterations? That's an interesting question. Uh, I'm not privy to this <laughs> information because I'm not a part of uh, the guidelines, but I think these management for staph aureus bacteremia was included in the 2011 IDSA guidelines on MRSA infections. It will be interesting to see what the new guidelines will entail. It's hard to predict what will be in the newer guidelines. I mean, I could be wrong, but I suspect that there will not be any major changes compared to what the prior guidelines have already recommended. The reason for that is we have not had any large randomized controlled trials with positive findings that are practice changing for staph aureus bacteremia. Most of the studies to date have been retrospective observational studies that should be considered lower quality evidence. That being said, I think one major change that may appear is mancomycin dosing for MRSA bacteremia. 
The 2009 IDSA guidelines suggest to target vancomycin trough of 15 to 20 for emerson bacteremia. However, the newer 2020 uh, ASHP and IDSA joint guidelines now suggest targeting an area under the curve or AUC of 400 to 600. However, again, this is based on lower quality evidence. So I will be hoping to do a randomized controlled trial that will compare uh, targeting of vancomycin AUC versus trial for MRC infections. That's very cool. And in my experience as an internal medicine resident, I have cared for many patients with Staph aureus bacteremia. When should these patients be co-managed by ID um, or have an ID specialist involved in their care? Right. So infectious diseases physicians such as me uh, are always happy to help out with the management of any patient with Staph aureus bacteremia. Uh, Dr. Andrew Morris and I have published a study in clinical infectious diseases in 2015 that showed that infectious diseases consultation for patients with staph aureus bacteremia improves mortality and shortens length of stay, as well as improving some quality of care markers. This has led to a policy of mandatory infectious diseases consultation for all staph aureus bacteremia across many Toronto hospitals, and many other Canadian hospitals have followed suit, including Kingston General Hospital, where we work. So I think it's reasonable to say that all patients with staph aureus bacteremia should have an infectious diseases specialist involved when it is feasible. All right. And in my preparation for this podcast episode, I learned that you're currently part of the STAP trial. I was hoping you could share a little bit about what the STAP trial is and what collectively you're investigating. Yeah, definitely. So the STAP trial is an exciting study that is ongoing. So the STAP trial is an international adaptive platform pragmatic randomized control trial that is led by Dr. Stephen Tong and Dr. Joshua Davis in Australia. Currently, there are about 50 sites across five countries that are recruiting. In Canada, there are about 18 hospital participating sites across five provinces. Dr. Matthew Chen and Dr. Ta Lee are the principal investigators for the Canadian sites. They're from McGill University. And the Canadian sites are funded by CHR grant. So I am the site investigator for the Kingston General Hospital site. So overall, the staff trial will randomize patients with staph aureus bacteremia to different antibiotic regimens to see which antibiotic regimen have the best effectiveness and safety profile. So as an adaptive platform trial, the antibiotics arm may change depending on interim analyses and multiple questions can be answered at once. So the currently, the staff trial is looking at answering the following questions. So the first question is, whether adding adjunctive clindamycin versus standard of care for staph aureus bacteremia will improve mortality. The second question is whether adding adjunctive cefazolin versus standard of care will improve mortality for MRSA bacteremia. The third question will be comparing cloxacillin versus cefazolin uh, for MSSA bacteremia. The fourth question will be comparing penicillin versus cloxacillin for penicillin-susceptible staph aureus bacteremia. And finally, the fifth question will be looking at oral step-down therapy versus continuing intravenous antibiotic therapy for staph aureus bacteremia. And for all of these questions, the trial is powered based on a 90-day mortality as a primary outcome. Wow, that sounds like an incredibly robust trial, and I'm excited to see what the results show. And finally, given the ongoing challenges that we face with antimicrobial resistance, are there any new treatments that we can anticipate for treating MRSA in particular? Yeah, I'm happy to say that, yes, there are several new antibiotics with activity against MRSA. So currently, the only two first-line antibiotic therapy for MRSA bacteremia include vancomycin and daptomycin. However, there are trials looking at newer antibiotics with the objective to show that these newer antibiotics are non-inferior, meaning not worse, or more effective than the current first-line agents. So the eradicate trial was just completed 
which showed that Septobipro, which is a fifth generation cephalosporin, is not inferior to daphnomycin for staph forest bacteremia. We're still waiting for the journal publication of these results. As well, the DOTS trial is currently recruiting, which is hoping to show that Delvavancin, a lipoglycopeptide, given as two doses on day one and eight, will be superior than standard antibiotic therapy for complicated staph forest bacteremia. If the published trial results are positive, then I'm hoping that we are will be able to use Cephalobipro or Delvavancin as first-line agents to treat MRC bacteremia. Uh, this is very relevant because both antibiotics are already approved, marketed, and available for use in Canada. All right. And it is a roundtable tradition to share some good stuff, a piece of news or a cultural event that is exciting for you. Do you have any good stuff to share for uh, with us today, Dr. Bai? Yeah, so my wife and I just had our first baby recently in November, so we're enjoying our time together spent with our son, William. I made sure that his first toys included the giant micro uh, micro blush, the MSSA and MRSA. That's absolutely adorable. And for my good stuff, my uh, internal medicine cohort recently went to uh, Montebello for our first program retreat since the start of COVID. It was incredibly fun, and I hope that the tradition can continue going forward into the future. Oh, that's great. All right. So that concludes our podcast for today. Thank you again, Dr. Bai, for joining us and enriching our knowledge in Staph Aureus. The Rounds Table is hosted online at healthydebate.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Roundstable. Thanks to our audio editors, Emilio Garcia Flores and Arjun Sharma. Also thanks to Amol Verma, founder of the Roundstable, and Kieran Quinn, the previous director. We'd also like to give a big thanks to Seema Marwaha, editor-in-chief at Healthy Debate, for all the support.